You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. And I'm Rochelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. We like to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on their preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Also, make sure that you join the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation. That is You Don't Sound Autistic, YDSA, on Facebook. We also like to welcome listeners from all over the country. That's the United States. That's where we're from. We also like to welcome our listeners from all over the world and remind you to join the fucking Facebook group which is You Don't Sound Autistic, YDSA. Also, go to YouDon'tSoundAutistic.com. You'll see episode show notes and links to reference materials in the shop. That's a way for us to whore ourselves out a little bit so that we can get some some, some cash on the merch, if you will. Um, Rochelle likes to uh, share with our new listeners a spiel explaining what this podcast is all about. Take it away, Rochelle. Thank you. You Don't Sound Autistic is a mental and emotional health awareness podcast. Each week we do our best to represent both neuroperspectives perspectives and talk about the continual discovery process of life on the spectrum. Our goal is to illuminate, uncover, and transparently discuss life with multi-diagnosis through a multi-generational neurodivergent lens. We follow an open, unscripted, conversational format that represents the real life back and forth of communication and collaboration. Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison. <coughs> sorry, comparison of the age group. <coughs> <coughs> sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison of the age groups helpful in seeing the more hidden patterns in of the DNA excuse me in the DNA of your lifestyle and lineage <clears throat> so at the end of that yeah that well i keep trying to figure out a way for us to use one of the spiels from an episode and and you fuck it up every time me not me I, my spiel is perfect <laughs> okay so um, we're here celebrating uh, over 10,000 downloads of this show. Yes. Yes, Be more are. excited. Be more excited. Come on. No, I am. I am. Take your top off. My top's off. <laughs> That's not how I celebrate. 10,000 is a big deal and 50 episodes. So uh, those are two benchmarks to hit. Well, now we're in 50. Well, this is 51. This is the 51st. Right, but uh, with 50 episodes, we hit. The 10,000 benchmark. That's true. We did. So that's huge. We and no one was ever topless. How disappointing is that? <laughs> well, Declan might have been, but... Send your topless photos. No, I'm just kidding. No. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, something stupid that I did the other day. Okay. Um, I went on TikTok, and anyone on the Facebook group uh, might have seen this. I uh, I did the one chip challenge. The I, can never, I, I can't tell if it's... Is it the Packy, the Pocky... I'm going to say Packy. I think it's P-A-Q-U-I. The hot chip challenge. Right. And so I shared the video of myself doing that. What you don't see in the video is me violently vomiting afterward. 
Yeah, I can't imagine that that's digestible. It was like three. No, it was like three thirty in the morning, and I was like feeling pretty good about myself until the uh. violence started in my tummy. I'm sure. And then I was like, I I threw up and I felt good. But the spice itself wasn't too bad. I mean, I love spicy things and that's kind of like my my thing. Hot right. sauce and stuff like that. But check it out if you want to. Um, How do they find you on TikTok? Uh, I, think it, I think I'm just Blake. I think I'm just, I think I'm just me, Blake Fertig. Okay. I'm always just me. There aren't, there aren't a lot of Blake Fertigs out there. Okay, that's not right. Hold on one second. <laughs> at Blake Fertig. That's B-L-A-K-E-F-E-R-T-A-G with an at sign at the beginning. I only have 336 views on this video, but I have a couple other videos on there, including... Um, some, it's so weird. I have a part one and part two of uh, The Day at the Apple Orchard, which is available on our YouTube channel. We only have one video up there on our YouTube channel. Right. Um. So far. Yeah. I have a... Oh, you look like you're about to say something. No, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. You go ahead. I didn't have anything to say. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I was going to... I wrote something. Okay. You know, it's dangerous when I write stuff because it means I mean it. Um, this is called Awkward Conversations, A Rant by Blake Fertig. I almost didn't say my name right just there. Uh, I find that when I'm on the phone with a client, there are a lot of awkward silences. In my mind, I'm talking to myself a lot during these conversations. I th- I say things like, get to the point quite often. Then there are times when it's time to hang up and it's like, okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a good day. God bless. Have a blessed day. Bye. What is that about? I feel like I'm missing something with phone etiquette and I'm supposed to be saying something different than I am. The same back and forth is torture when it comes to meeting new people. I hate small talk and I think most people hate small talk. At least I hope they do. But it seems like you can't get to the meaty stuff until you dig into the dig in and ask a lot of bullshit basic questions. I'll give you an example. I've been doing online dating and the first thing I always ask is, or say is, hey, I'm Blake. How's your day going? I'll also usually ask how they, what they do for work if it's not on their profile. Now, I do not get many responses. I used to be so much better at this, so I don't know if I've just gotten lazy, but when people do respond, they typically only answer my questions and don't ask any questions of their own, or if they do, it's very few. My day is going well or my weekend was great. The end. That's what they say. Then I have to be like, well, what did you do? I went to the beach with my friends. It was a lot of fun. Then I'm like, okay, and ask another question and another question. It's endless. Don't you want to know anything about me? You end up talking to someone for a few days and finally get a a lot of information out of them. And normally at that point, you'd ask for their number so you can text further or chat on the phone. But they'll say... I don't think I know you well enough yet. Yeah, bitch, it's because you haven't asked me any questions. Am I supposed to write a lengthy, unsolicited description of myself between questions or answer my own questions as part of the conversation? What am I missing here? It's so bizarre. 
I'm opening that up to you, and then I have a whole other spiel I wanted to get into. I don't think you're necessarily missing anything. I think we're in this really awkward transition in culture where conversational culture where we're moving away from the scripted dance that you know social emotional responses have been for centuries and moving towards something that's more authentic um you saying i'm inauthentic no you're not listening to my whole i'm not talking about you at all I said we, as a culture, we're moving away from a more scripted conversational format and into something that's more individualized and authentic for each person. So there's no there's no rules for that. I mean, and we're seeing it all over the place where you need to be able to have a conversation in a style and a format that meets your needs without compromising yourself because otherwise you're just throwing a mask back on which you probably have a mask on anyways but you're not going to sit there and play the social game the politeness the oh I always have to have this greeting and it has to sound like this and then they say this and then they get to yell at me and that's okay and I have to take it and pretend like it's okay you know like there's a script we followed for a very long time and uh, I can't remember which of the who's yelling at you customers and I don't know i i I mean, okay. I've removed myself from those situations, but I'm not on the other end of customer phone calls. And, and you know that this, there's always a power struggle in a lot of those conversations. They want something. You're supposed to give it to them. You're the, supposed to be the power of the company. They have the power of the consumer. I'm with you on, in the moments of silence, like having my own secondary dialogue going on where I'm kind of like, come on. Okay, what are we doing? Okay, you talk a lot. Like, um, it just helps me steady my thoughts during a conversation so that I don't feel. Sometimes people can be kind of aggressive on the phone. Like, their style can be rushed and they can kind of create this fight or flight. Okay, you got to do this and you got to do it now. And it's like, yeah, I don't respond to that. So. Sometimes I think the other the inner dialogue you're referring to is healthy. I think it's a healthy way to balance <laughs> all the things you're actually thinking and feeling in that conversation and not everything needs to or should be said. But I think it's totally valid to think it. All right. I have another thing I wanted to talk about. Okay. <clears throat> another thing I wanted to address in this episode is that I never heard back from that job I really wanted. Yeah. So at the end of the interview, I was told they would be reaching out to me by the week's end. That was weeks ago at this point. I've emailed the recruiters several times, and I've been told this. Uh, all I've been told is that they'd get back to me and look into it. Then I emailed a week later and heard nothing back. I feel like this is another case of autism getting the better of me. Did I not do well during the interview there should be a program for teaching autistic people how to interview i agree with that also companies should be more aware that there are a lot of us out there and we don't necessarily come off that well in high pressure situations like interviews am i alone in this other autistic people send off in the facebook group that's you don't send autistic ydsa or send me a message or chime in on the website that's you don't send autistic.com I'd love to hear about your thoughts regarding interviewing. 
I also don't know if I'm missing something. I feel like that should be the title of this episode. Am I missing something? Conversing with an autistic adult. I never knew before how much I struggle to understand what people are talking about during conversations. I'm a master masker, not to be confused with master baiter. <laughs> if I told someone I was autistic, their response would be, what? You? It sometimes feels like you're a vampire that can live in daylight, like a daywalker, like Blade. You know who Blade is? I do. Oh, okay. Who's Blade? Wesley Snipes. <laughs> in the movie. That's all I know about Blade. I won't watch those movies. Okay. They terrify me. I can't all watch right, that stuff. All right, there you go. That's fine. <laughs> Who's Blade? Wesley Snipes. Did I get Always it right, though? He does play Blade. Okay, the, I mean, I got the actor right. I got the whole thing right. That's impressive. He, but he's not like the Marvel character. Then you have to tell someone, I'm a vampire. You? People have so many misconceptions about autism, and I think it's because it is a spectrum. There's a spectrum of day of light, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's 8 p.m., it can still be light outside. You wouldn't say it's daytime. A day is a day no matter what time it is. To me, it's the best analogy I can think of relating to autism. You know, that's why they dropped the, like, there's a movement to drop the term high functioning. I had a movement earlier today, but I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. But still, there's the, there's, okay, well, now I don't want to call it that. There's a movement to talk about dropping the word autism? No, not to talk about it, to actually, not, no, no, you didn't listen to me. The term high functioning. You didn't, at, you didn't say that. I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Do you want to re-roll re the tape back? I said, yes, actually. We're going to pause right now because I never get to be proven correct. So pause <sighs> and go back. I said, listen to what I actually said. All right. Okay, fine. Rochelle was right. I didn't listen. <laughs> <sighs> it's okay. No, it's fine. I said there's a, mo there's a movement to typical Typical woman splainer. <laughs> okay the term high functioning autism is incorrect it was initially used well not initially but it, it it's been recently used to try and describe what is now more categorized by level one two or three but high functioning autism is even what your doctor told us in 2020 about you because it was like on most in most areas you can function to to some degree you know, to a high degree. And when my, if you go back to the earlier episodes from a year ago, I remember complaining about that because there were very clearly days and times within the day that you didn't function well. And I didn't think it was fair, you know, from a services and um, reality standpoint to, to say that, that. So it's the same concept here. You're talking about, well, there's a spectrum. It's not always light at eight o'clock. You don't call eight o'clock day. Yes, those are all correct things because we are used to a smaller world where things can be, you know, very easily categorized and classified. Categorized. Oh, thank you. I knew that sounded weird. See, I that, know words too. Yeah, that one, you were right on that. Categorized and classified. Um, but we're not in that world anymore. Now we're starting to see the gray. We're starting to see all the gradients of what makes you know, um, 
a situation reality and it's not black and white and and that applies to many different things so i i have to go back and ask you a couple questions though so so no you're gonna love the end of this oh you're not done no i got like a whole couple paragraphs okay well then hold it because then i can't go back to the first thing you just said but then i'm gonna have to repeat myself because now i'm gonna be saying stuff that doesn't make sense can you write your thoughts down rochelle all right go ahead say your thoughts no go for it no it's fine can't wait to hear this are you assuming that the reason you didn't hear back from the job is because you're autistic or you didn't do well i'm trying to i don't think i did well but and I feel like they said like some party line where they were just like, oh, yeah, we're going to totally get back to you. But that's not how you felt the day you did the interview. No, but that's how I feel now six weeks later. OK, so that's what I want to talk about. You feel that way because you've heard nothing because the silent treatment has has psychologically now sent you in a place where you're reeling and you're in fight or flight and you don't have any answers. Not in fight or flight. I'm in fart and fornicate. Okay, well, that's not where your brain lives, but okay. but the point is silence is very toxic and damaging for this exact reason because all you have left to do is try and go back and figure out what you did wrong because you haven't received the result you want. Silence and the silent treatment is one of the most um, harmful things that a person can do. Now, it's incredibly rude of this company to not take that into consideration. They know very well they were in the middle of the interview process, but I'm I'm struggling to draw the connection that it's because you did something wrong. That's one possibility, but there are many other possibilities, including the job got closed out, someone got sick, and they haven't continued the process, and their communication is correct. There's no excuse for the silent treatment, first of all, for regardless of who you're dealing with. And, you know, for both neurotypes, the silent treatment is damaging, but especially for, for neurodivergence, because you're already living in that place in your brain where you have anxiety and you don't have that self-confidence to trust that things are going to work out. And that part of your brain is always looking for a threat. And silence feels like a threat, especially when you're waiting for an answer. So I'm be mindful of the connections that you're drawing to try and fill in for the silence. Mm. I don't, I don't know that you didn't do well. I mean, I, I still have a lot more to read. Yeah, but I'm still now I'm afraid of reading what I read or wrote. Why? Because I'm afraid that I'm going to be stepping over my own toes here. Well, let's hear it. I just I wanted to ask you that question because it didn't I I didn't immediately draw that connection. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fair to create space for something that isn't a fault of yours. Although in premise you know, I think that everything else you said in relationship to the interviewing process is very valid. Like wondering how you're communicating, how how you're coming across, like are you picking up those social cues? Did they give you a party line? Is it a party line because it's what they tell everyone or is it because they actually meant it? You might not be able to, you know, feel like you could accurately read that emotion off of them. And so all of those things are very valid points. Okay. Please keep reading. People think of someone who has more severe autistic traits 
Wait, people think of someone who has more severe autistic traits. Oh, as if it's like, I'm not autistic enough for you. I think I've mentioned this before on the show, but my memory is terrible these days, so I will repeat it. We're not supposed to say high functioning autism anymore. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. I guess we're just supposed to say the level of autism or just generally saying you're autistic. It's just autistic, yeah. But there should be a scale. It makes the self-discovery journey much clearer. So let's, can we talk about this real At quick? At least, let me finish my thing. Okay. At least it did that for me. Just a few years ago when I was diagnosed, they said I was high functioning and what they used to call Asperger syndrome. Or level one. So why do they keep changing the names of shit? So you're still level one. I'm not done. Um, they used to say retarded, but that became bad because then people started using that as an insult. Then they'd say mentally challenged, and that became an insult. It's going to keep being an insult no matter how many times you change the fucking words. I know I'm going off on a tangent here, and that's probably the ADHD talking because I find connections from one thought to the next, and I digress. I find that most of the time, it's people who are not autistic that are the most offended by the intricacies of certain terminologies. It's like with race. Some people call black people African-American. But what if they're not actually African? What if you're white and you're from Africa? Are you not African-American? Of course you are. It's this weird thing with words that the words play, uh, that, that the world plays with, and I hate it. I never know if I'm on top of the most recent vernacular or modern colloquial... I hate this word. I wrote this down. Colloquial... Colloquial... Uh, God damn it. It's like Worcestershire. Colloquialisms. I'm just going to say that. Everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? That meet the standards of the politically correct police. Even for my own fucking condition, I have no idea when the appropriate terminology is to be used because it seems to change from year to year. I think my rant is over. I really wish we could take calls on the show so I could hear from other people about how they feel about the subject because I can't be alone in this, right? There you go, Rochelle. You can take over the rest of the show. Rochelle put her microphone down because she's mad. News Minute! <laughs> oh my gosh, you are on one tonight. <laughs> what the hell? You like, take, you like eat some grumpy cereal or something? No. <clears throat> I just literally saw that I had News Minute was the next <laughs> note that I had. So, end of rant. Go ahead, Rochelle. Take us away. All I can think of now is News Minute. Go ahead. I honestly don't remember what else you just said. I was talking. Oh, my God. What else do you want to talk about? No, remind me. I'm a vampire. Now I got all that. Okay. You talked about words. Okay, colloquialism. You're talking... I agree with you. So... Um, one of the places I think I have the hardest time being online is in um, more of the adult-centered autistic groups. Is that, where, like, is that like a autism porn? 
No, it's just that there's so there's so much nitpicking over the words and the terminology like you're talking about. Like everyone get just spends all their time policing other people for not getting everything right. And where you go into these moms groups and I think there's an assumption, an incorrect assumption that most of the moms are neurotypical. And if you really understood what you're looking for in undiagnosed neurodivergent moms, you would understand that most of the moms that are in the groups are neurodivergent in one way or another. Well, you can only be, you know, from one condition or another is my point. And no one is superior. And we're all just doing our best to try and piece together this this constantly moving target of how in the hell do we take care of ourselves and our children and our husbands and our, you know, like, and our other children. And um, it's, I'm so tired of the infighting over terminology that is I understand the trauma behind incorrect terminology but we need to start talking about the realities of unhealed trauma and it needs to be separate and apart from how critical and unforgiving people are are to each other as we're all supposed to be on this journey together I mean how stupid is that like We're all on this journey together, whether you know it or not. Now, if you're deliberately on this journey with us, then you know you're walking down this path and we are all, you know, in it together and communicating and collaborating and learning. But if you're on the path and you don't know that that's the path you're on and you're, you're reading a variety of things and you, you know, you don't know how accurate or from what time or from what, you know, version of neurodivergent research it's coming from then you could easily be doing your best to keep your head above water and at the same time be crucified for saying something wrong by someone who is mad that you're not up to par with the latest thing like or not up 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 to where they think they're at stop judging like as a whole the entire community has call me an a-hole as a whole (laughs) no as a whole, our entire community has the opportunity to come together in an abrasive way and actually support each other instead of taking the trauma out on each other. we Every single one of us are traumatized in one way or another because we've been neurodivergent our whole lives and ignored. We have parents. You're neurodivergent now? Oh my God, that's insulting. I've never said I'm autistic. What's wrong with you? Other than the obvious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me remind you of all the conditions that are currently labeled as neurodivergent. Okay. Oh boy, here we go. Anxiety, depression, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia. There's one more, dysplexia, uh, Dysle- I can't remember what it's, dyspraxia. Mm-hmm. I have two of those learning disabilities. Yeah. And we still let her talk on the show. We do. We do. Depression runs in my family. I do my best to manage it elsewhere, but it does bring me down from time to time. It's episodic. It's not chronic. I do not have major depressive disorder. I have episodes, as I'm sure everybody does. Um, But neurodivergent is, and that's just, that's just what goes in it right now. I am positive that schizophrenia is neurodivergent. I believe bipolar is neurodivergent. OCD is neurodivergent. Um, 
hyper empathy disorder. Are these things you believe, or are these things that are facts? So when, so as you know, I medically research the show before the show I and know. after the show. And when any time the medical research is going through the sides of the brain and the parts of the brain that all connect in, whether it's a medication or whether it's a condition, it's almost always inclusive of this group of conditions. And because neurologically they have similar, they have similarities. Um, Excuse me, schizophrenia, autism, OCD, bipolar, and major depressive disorder. They they're always mentioned together in uh, cuz you know I don't I don't read a lot of the like oh. health line. I mean I don't read regurgitated information. I go straight to the resource, to the research. I go straight to the National Institute of Health or you know the the universities and their actual research papers. Like I go right to the source. I don't let someone Tell me how they interpret it. Peer-reviewed articles. Thank you. PubMed.gov. I go to a lot of those sources to read things. And so they don't... PubMed.gov? Because it's not being, you know, that information is not being pulled out and positioned for a specific goal. It's all the raw research. And what I found is that, and and if you remember at the beginning of the show, and it's still live on RochelleChandler.com, the neurobiodiversity scale, I linked based on my theories of how these conditions are consistent with the freeze response of the fight or flight uh, stress response, the the sympathetic nervous system. I had already linked depression, ADD inattentive, autism, um, hyper empathy disorder, and bipolar. I left off schizophrenia because I didn't have enough data to prove it. But now a year later, I've been researching this and schizophrenia is always listed with bipolar and autism and depression so that side of the brain does act similarly in some structures so that medications um, that they use are similar for many of those conditions and so yeah i think that they do have some some relevance yeah you forgot what i was saying no i did (laughs) say it again in like one sentence okay we'll just move on but I'm just the point. It's I'm, hard to remember what you're saying when you give me like a sh- whole. You answer. You ask me multiple questions and I, then forget that you an- ask multiple questions. So I was talking about the opportunity we have as a community to come together more and be more forgiving and be more embracing and being like, hey, we're all going to get there. How we get there and through which pathway and through which words we use is just part of the process. And it doesn't need to be something that we haggle and attack each other over. In fact, I think we've been haggled and attacked over the rest of the world so much that we don't even realize we're doing it to each other. Because once you're in fight or flight and you don't deal with your trauma, and you don't deal with the fact that you're constantly in fight or flight, you're going to continue to repeat the pattern. Neurologically and biologically, we've proven that that's the case. So I think most of what you were bringing up tonight is evidence of the fact that one of the things we're not spending enough time on is really exploring the compassionate side of just being human beings and allowing ourselves to be who we are without worrying about the medical label of autism. You don't, you shouldn't have to give a company you're interviewing with your medical history. You shouldn't have to do that. 
did you ever watch the video that Maxwell posted in the in the group? He talked about um, it's a it's a YouTube video. There's a psychiatrist who takes calls, and he took a call from an a, a, an autistic male um, with a UK accent. And the whole conversation took. What like, does a UK accent sound I like? I can't. I don't want. I'm scared to say if it was British or it was, you know, it was it was beautiful. But because the UK has a few different. Can you name all the countries in the UK? Oh no, no, I cannot. There's not that many. Yes, and I I don't research those, so no, I can't. But my point is that I'm I'm. It was a beautiful interview. I thought that the way that the interviewer represented himself and. But he talked about some of these very same questions and he talked about it through a social lens of like how he used to identify himself in social groups by being the autistic and being the funny one. And just he started to notice that people would like introduce him to other groups going, oh, this is my autistic friend. And then pretty soon he felt backed into a corner by being the autistic. And it wasn't necessarily a, a positive representation. And and he was sitting there going, well, okay, I don't like this and I want to get out of this and this doesn't feel fair. And it, and as the interview went on, it became very apparent that the interviewer was also pre-discounting his own self-worth and he would say so to the doctor. And the doctor, I thought, with, with a very loving perspective said, whoa, 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 like you're discounting your own strengths, your own value, your own you know, contributions to a social group, which I just watched you do also. I will take off an article of clothing for every country in the UK that you can do an accent for. <laughs> Wait, that I can do an accent for or name? Accent for. You know for a fact I cannot do accents. Do one. I cannot. Try. Uh-uh. There's one super easy one. Oh, no, I can't. If I do anything off the cuff, you're... Uh, uh, I, I could do three Yes, but you pr- you have an ear for this. You know I'm going to I'm gonna say one thing and you're going to be like, oh, that was perfect. Do it again. And you know I can never Fine, do name, it again. Name a country in the UK. Britain. Great Britain. <laughs> England. Thank you. Name one more. In the UK? I'm sh- isn't Ireland in there? Isn't this France, uh, Spain? Oof. I don't study this. Okay. That was rough. Try again. I don't know, Blake. How many times do I have to tell you? I don't know. Okay, you got England. Okay. You were kind of okay with Ireland, but not really. Okay, so is... Northern Ireland. Why would Northern Ireland be in it, but not... Okay, I don't want to get into that. Is France They're in there? They're two different countries. I know that. Is France in there? <laughs> That's part of the EU. Okay, that's where I'm getting confused. The UK okay. is England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Okay, well, I forgot that you were... I thought you were talking about the EU. Okay. okay. I can't... I, I just I, wanted I to get you on something so I could prove that I'm not the dumbest person. You're not the dumbest person. I just... I spend all my... In fact, let's talk about that for a minute. Because you know very well, I have to work very hard to have all this information just to be able to be the It'd other be half. It'd be so much easier to listen to this if your top was off. Oh my God. No. <laughs> no. I. This does not come naturally to me. I, I spend most of my free time studying and researching. And by the way, I need everyone's help because 
Blake and I are in agreement that my show notes, my companion posts on the website are too long, but I went to go edit it down and I couldn't bring myself to edit anything because uh, anyway, so I need everyone's help because they take, I, I need to know if what I'm writing is too long for each episode and there's and i have episodes 42 through 48 it's on you don't sound autistic.com by the way they're meant to be companion pieces they are not transcripts the only thing that um is mirrored are the conversation topics like the titles or the section headers what we're talking about and if i've had to suffer by reading through them then you should too audience (laughs) you shouldn't be suffering did you suffer they were really long. Did you learn anything? But did you? Yes, I did. But here's the thing. I also, I've been watching that new Lord of the Rings show. Mm. I don't want to be learning that much. I want to learn. I, 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 learned, I learned best in little snippets. Yes, but I didn't necessarily expect everyone to go through and read the whole thing and be like, okay, now I've just, I mean, you could, but it's also divided up to be resource help for each section. Like you may not need all this. We talk about a lot of sections in, uh, sorry, about a lot of different topics within an episode. So you may not need three fourths of the topics. Yeah. So why, I don't know. I'm I just, it's, it's like certain books, you know, like you'll be reading a book and like, for instance, like I mentioned, Lord of the Rings, my brother taught me, if you're going to read the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit, that you should skip all the songs because they don't add anything to the story. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like reading it, I learned, I did learn a lot, but at the end of each section, I was like, I was like, I was like, there was a lot of songs in there. <laughs> I never read them. What, the Lord of the Rings books? Mm-hmm. Neither, I didn't read them either. <laughs> I'm just saying I, <laughs> I skipped. I tried to read them, but then I... Started skipping the songs, and I was like, not only are there too many songs, there's too many words in these books. <laughs> yeah. Look, I get it, because what happens is I know what I wanted to write as the companion piece, and then I start going to find where my resource, my resources were, and then I continue to read, and I'm like, oh, this is good, too, and it's it's all the other stuff that I... Look, you already give me a whole lot of shit for talking as much as i do i i have more things to say someone has to and i don't say them all on the podcast so i put them in the companion posts oh so that's what you'd really be saying jesus christ how long would these episodes be (laughs) i don't know but there's good information out there and you know i'm just doing my best to make the journey a little easier for everyone i think what you wrote was don't get me wrong i know i'm very sarcastic and rochelle has no sense of humor i don't um so i think what you wrote was great okay i think that you should leave the ones that you've done as is but as you write the newest ones maybe tone it down a little bit so that they're more bite-sized pieces because you have to remember everyone that's reading these things these people if they're autistic if they adhd if they're dealing with these they don't have the time or the patience to read i'm assuming i i'm on the show and i was reading them and i'm like i'm like damn it there's so much information here like it needs to be a little bit more digestible 
for my audience. Yeah, I totally get that. And it, and I struggle. This is why I'm asking. But do you, are you like, is that offensive to you? Okay, I, no, it's not offensive to me. Okay. That's, I, you remember, I started this conversation by saying Blake and I both agree because I came to you and I said, I, I know as I'm writing these that these feel long. They feel long for me to produce. They feel long when I look back at it. It feels long to me also. I just know there's really good information here and I don't know what to do about it. So I said, now, because I've talked before about whether or not the companion posts should just be the section titles and the timestamp. And then if I reference something specific, I'll put that resource in there. But instead of expanding on it, I'll just list, you know, the links to the items in the shop or the links to the reference material and then not go in and, and you know, create the secondary um, support information that and it would make it tremendously shorter. So what she's saying is go out there, read those posts if you would. We have homework for you. That's right. I need your help. Homework assignments. Go out there on you don't sound autistic.com and help us out so we can tell Rochelle that she's talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're not only telling me I'm talking too much. Now you're telling me I'm I'm writing too much. I think it's really good information. Okay. I just said I think it's good information. I, what I'm saying is that like as I was reading it, I was like the podcast is shorter than this. <laughs> Okay, so the last one was really long. The hidden fees of ADHD and autism was a very long post because I didn't, you know, you brought up such a great topic in that episode and there were so many things. And I think the podcast episode actually had so many topics that we were able to come up with that we didn't go into great depth on any one of them because we had so many ideas to present. And so then I felt like that particular post needed and warranted, you know, a second look to go really explain all the hidden fees because I think that that particular topic is really under talked about and an important one to know. They're not all that long. No, I know. I'm not saying that's a thing. It's like, okay. Anyways, let us know on the Facebook group what you think, or just let just send us a note right there on the website because you can send um, us information through the Ask Us links or through the contact links. Just let us know um, what you think because I don't. At this point, my brain is fried on trying to analyze what's right. Okay. Hold on. Well, so you, what was the one, f you read it earlier, um, but you said that you were going to call the episode something about, I can't remember what you said it was, communicating with. Um, I was going to call the episode, am I missing something? Conversing with an autistic, conversing as an autistic adult. Okay. Am I missing something? Conversing as an autistic adult. When you ask that question and you're representing your side of the conversation, what is it you spend the most time wondering if you're missing? Like, are you missing the, like the hidden meanings or? Everything. I, am I, I, I like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like there are times when I'm in, I'm having conversations with you even. And, you know, on this podcast, 
and you look at me and I'll be like, I got nothing. And at least I feel comfortable enough saying that. Right. Because in a normal conversation outside of the show, I would be like throwing in a bunch of bullshit to make it fill the conversation so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. Okay, well, from that particular aspect, I know that there are times that you tune out. And I know that that's because I've lost your interest because I've gone from one point to another and you've just passed your capacity to keep listening. And then when it's time for you to respond, you don't really know where I'm at or you needed to get a drink or you needed to, you know, you you heard a sound and you had to look away and, and see what the sound was. And every one of those things will distract your brain at, from listening. So in the middle of a conversation, there are people who can do all of those things and hold the conversation. And, you know, as we know, ADHD and autism um, struggle with that skill. I mean, hell, I struggle with that skill. So more and more, we are wiring and firing our brains into a place where we're not holding information and utilizing it well. So... The difference, I think, what you're saying is when you get distracted, you at least feel comfortable enough to say, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And if you were to do that in a social setting with someone else, they'd get deeply offended because this, again, the social script I was talking about earlier demands your full attention and you get my full attention and nothing else matters. You're supposed to shut out the rest of the world. Now, how realistic is that? Not very realistic, I guess. Now, when you're in that interview setting, do you do you feel like you shut out the rest of the world more and you really hyper-focus? I feel like I do. I mean, like I thought I did really well in that interview, the See, one that I'm talking about. And I honestly, listening to you as you repeated back the story. Sorry, air bubbles. Um, I got the impression that you also did well in that interview. You sounded... Um, like you were on your best foot, like you sounded like you self-advocated well, that you represented your skills well. You told me you even made them laugh. Um, you know, they, they asked you. Yeah, because they said, uh, they asked me, what you know, like, tell us about yourself and like, what kind of things do you like to do outside of work? And I was like, I like to make electronic music. I played the ukulele and that made them laugh. Which I didn't think was very fucking funny. Because <laughs> it's all true. Yeah. And when I, the guy's like, dude, when you said uh, electronic music, I play the ukulele. Uh, man, uh, you got me, bro. Like, you totally had me. Like, uh, I was laughing. And I was like, fuck you, guy. That's what he said? Yeah. That's a, But that's a, a very sincere response. I know. And that's part of, I think that's part of the autistic traits that I carry. Which Where I was just generally just saying my, like, because I, I think of that show, um, Love on the Spectrum, especially uh, the uh, Australian version, the original version. And Rochelle is leaving. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and, and I think about those uh, moments on that show where... You know, there's um, 
times where they're they're literally asking them like, why don't you talk about they they? It's so general that there's like talk about talk about your interests, talk about things that you're really into. Right. And so I try to do that, and I just list off stuff, and people are like, "Oh, that's funny." Okay, you. I don't know that you. Maybe this is part of your autism, but. I don't know that you necessarily pick up on the nuances of a genuine moment because when you are feeling safe enough to just represent yourself with sincerity, you come off as a funny person. You always have. But I think sometimes you're always waiting for that person's reaction to gauge whether or not what you said was accepted yeah, I need a laugh in order for me to know if something is funny. I can't have someone just go, hmm. So is that, right, right. We've talked about that before because you're always on the edge of rejection. Like you're you're not just rejection sensitive at this point. You're kind of like rejection expectant. Oh, it's just the marshmallow wars. Okay. Um, you're rejection expectant. Like you expect to be rejected. So you kind of listen with that ex- with that filter in place. And so when someone does respond, you immediately question their the authenticity of their response. Like you kind of think that they're fooling you or what, they didn't really mean it. or Because you, you ex- as soon as you expect to be rejected, you're almost let down if you aren't. Do you notice you do that? Then I'm let down if I'm not rejected. Because at least if you were rejected, you'd be like, oh, it's a comfortable feeling. I understand this. The silence, you haven't been rejected. They just went silent. They haven't given you a response, so you don't know how to feel. So you're feeling rejected and confused. And then going back and replaying what you originally said was a positive interview that you felt good about, and now you're picking it apart. Well, I mean, they never called me back, right? But we don't know why. There could be several reasons why that happened. It doesn't matter. I failed. You don't know that? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay. Someone else did better. Maybe it was someone else's pathway. and Fuck that person. I know it was something you really wanted. I know. And not knowing is difficult for anyone. But especially... You know what? At this point, put your top back on. It's not helping. <laughs> I never... <laughs> okay. I'm in a whole sweater. Like, that's not. That's right. And I can see the hole. There's no. Okay. Uh, <sighs> I'm so sad. I'm just saying that silence can be very traumatic. Right. It's as traumatic as neglect. It is a form of neglect. And it just leaves you in your mind spiraling. And, you know, the only real. Well, I don't want to speak in absolutes, but one healthy way to to manage that is just to acknowledge you it's something you really, really want. You don't have an answer yet, and then, and until you do, there's nothing to really. Yeah, but what if it's three months from now and I haven't heard from them? Do I go? Oh, well, they. It's like. Uh, but then Schrodinger. What is it? Is it Schrodinger? Some things we don't get answers on. We don't get answers on everything. There's no immediate return on everything. Is that what it is? It Schrodinger's cat. I or am I know. thinking of something else? There are many things in this world we don't get closure on. This may end up being one of them. 
But I but I'm just cautioning it is you Schrodinger's cat. about jumping straight to this negative conclusion because all you're going to do is make your own experience waiting feel worse. And for someone who's battling daily depression, chronic depression, you don't need to add things in your in your thinking that are going to just make you feel worse because now you're going to deplete what little energy you have. Now you're going to you're going to drain your motivation to keep moving forward. You're you're it's you may as well walk around with a backpack full of emotional bricks like it's just not even fair to do to yourself. We don't have an answer. Don't assume it's because you did something wrong. News minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I respond to things. Fair point. Move on to the next thing. No. Um what? Do I need to give an answer here? No, you don't. It's rhetorical. Okay. Should I do News Minute? Please. I thought that was a great transition. News Minute! Dogs were in the news this week. Oh. Doggy dementia. No way. According to a study by the Dog Aging Project. Okay. Is a reality that many dog owners will face in their dog's breed, if their dog's breed lives 10 years or more. The study found that cognitive issues rise by nearly 52%. After age 10 in many dogs. However, they have also found that keeping your dog mentally and physically stimulated can stave off these adverse effects of aging. Is there any mention of diet? There are also nutritional supplements. No, I meant diet. And special dog foods made for aging pooches. Okay. That's not what I'm talking According about. According to, well, just save your answers, save all answers to the end of the show. <laughs> According to CNN, Inactive dogs of the same breed, health status, age, and sterilization status were nearly seven times more likely to get doggy dementia than comparable active dogs. Do you have a dog? Here are the signs to look out for. Disorientation, changes in sleep cycles, house training regression, changes in social behavior, and changes in physical activity. Take your pup to a vet as soon as you see any of these signs in order to get... The Some really best expensive blood care tests. for your pet. Did you know that dementia and Alzheimer's is um, nicknamed um, diabetes of the brain? What is? Dementia and Alzheimer's. Okay. Diabetes of the brain. It's I didn't a, know that. It's a blood sugar issue. Okay. The, that crosses the blood brain barrier. So I asked about diet because a lot of the manufactured pet foods have fillers and different ingredients that don't control sugar well or have sugar things or a lot of corn corn's a sugar that we shouldn't most people shouldn't be eating um i don't say should judgmentally i just did you see corn corn yeah did you are you 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 go on tiktok right sometimes have you seen the corn song no you haven't seen that Uh -uh. uh-uh it's very popular on the tiktok Oh, I don't. Kids are all playing it. I don't have one of those algorithms. I love corn. I love all kinds of corn. What? Nothing. I'm just. I'm, that's not really what it is. Oh. It's uh, it's some some little kid talks about eating corn and they like songified it and now it's like a sound. Oh, okay. Um. All right. Next bit. I actually am just gonna read this but article. But I just have to say before oh, you boy. go there. One of the healthy ways to manage glucose, like high glucose, high blood sugar, is exercise. So I found that article kind of 
frustrating because you're stepping all over. I got a whole journey ready we, for you. Go ahead, Rochelle. No, it's fine. Step all over my next bit. Let's hear it. No, go ahead. No, I want to hear it. Just cut me off. <laughs> go ahead. No, I want to hear it. You don't. You're not even listening. I'm listening. I'm trying. I'm uh, look. I'm, I'm pretending about- like I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the truth. Do you know what? I mean, remember when I had gestational diabetes? I I have post COVID high blood sugar right now, and they it's well known that exercise and movement. That article said make sure your dog is is high, highly physically active. It's because physical movement pulls the glucose out of your bloodstream and uses it through your body, and it gets and you know that that all of that you got to research glutamate and how you're gonna laugh when I read this next article but there was no mention of actual like blood sugar you got it in that article i i know okay are you ready for the next one go ahead here's the headline i want to read the whole fucking article by the way i'm gonna pour myself a glass of wine just two minutes of walking after eating can help (laughs) blood sugar study says no shit really just so everyone knows, I cannot see the screens. I am relegated to this corner over here. Blake's in front of the, the monitor. That's right. I relegate her to a corner. <laughs> I don't get to see. I don't get any of the That's prep. where her gestational diabetes <laughs> ass is forced to sit. For centuries, people in... I'm going to read the whole article. Okay. This is on CNN. For centuries, people in the sunny Mediterranean would get up after long, leisurely meals and take a walk, often to, t- to the town square to see neighbors and socialize. Walking is so much a part of that lifestyle that is listed as a foundation of the uber-healthy Mediterranean diet. That may be one of the reasons studies have found the Mediterranean diet can reduce the risk for diabetes, high cholesterol, heart disease, stroke, and some cancers. In your face, Rochelle. All (laughs) while strengthening bones, improving brain health, warding off dementia (laughs) and depression, and helping with healthy weight loss. I can't wait to hear how she comes back from this one. Now you can add another reason to take a post-meal stroll. It may also help lower your blood sugar. That excursion doesn't need to take up a huge amount of your time either. Walking as little as two to five minutes after a meal can do the trick, according to a 2020 study in the journal Sports Medicine. Standing after a meal can help too, <laughs> you lazy fuck. But as, but not as much as putting one foot in front of the other, said study co-author, co-author rather, Aiden Buffet. Now that's a funny name. Buffy? I want to say Buffet because that sounds funnier. Aiden Buffet. A, d- a doctoral student in the physical education and sports sciences department at the University of Limerick, Ireland, in Ireland. Um, which is part of the UK, according to Rochelle. Say, it's not part of the according UK. According to Rochelle, intermittent standing breaks throughout the day and after meals reduce glucose on average by 9.51% compared to prolonged sitting. However, intermittent light intensity walking throughout the day saw a greater reduction of glucose by an average of 17.01% compared to prolonged sitting, Buffet told CNN via email. This suggests that that breaking prolonged sitting with standing and light walking breaks throughout the day is beneficial for glucose levels, he added. There's only a little bit more. Standing is good, but walking is better. The meta-analysis published in February 
analyzed seven studies comparing the impact of sitting, standing, and walking on the body's insulin and blood sugar levels. People in the studies were asked either to stand or walk for two to five minutes every 20 to 30 minutes over the course of a full day. Between the seven studies reviewed, the total activity time throughout the observation was roughly 28 minutes with the standing and light walking breaks lasting between two to five minutes, Buffy said. Buffet, sorry. See, it's hard to tell. B-U-F-F-E-Y. Would you say Buffy or Buffet? I'm going to say Buffet. I think you're right. Standing was better than heading straight for the desk or the couch to sit when it came to blood sugar levels, but it didn't help lower insulin in the bloodstream, the analysis found. However, Wait, so repeat that? Standing was better? Standing was better than heading straight for the desk or the couch. So basically, standing right. was better, better than, than sitting. S- sitting, but walking... But, but it didn't help lower insulin in the bloodstream, the okay. analysis found. Okay. However, if people went for a short walk after eating, their blood sugar levels rose and fell more gradually, and their insulin levels were more stable than when standing or sitting, the study noted. Keeping okay. blood sugars from spiking is good for the body, as large spikes and fast falls can raise and raise the, raise the risk for diabetes and heart disease, experts said. Studies have shown... Blood sugar levels will spike within 60 to 90 minutes after eating, but it's best to get moving soon after finishing a meal. How does movement help? Muscles need glucose to function, so movement helps clear sugars from the bloodstream. That's the reason why so many runners rely on carb loading before a marathon race, for example. Want to get more out of your efforts than lower blood sugars? Step up your game to meet the minimum physical activity standards for Americans. 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity and two days of muscle strengthening activity a week. Okay, now they're losing me because now they're talking about 150 minutes. I thought we were talking about two minutes here. Uh, People who are physically active for about 150 minutes a week have a 33% lower risk of all-cause mortality than those who are physically inactive. Yeah. This U.S. Centers for Disease Control and yeah. Prevention notes. Translated, that means if you get up and move for at least 21.43 minutes each day of the week, you cut your risk of dying from anything by one-third. Those are big numbers. That's right. Well, and lifting weights is a way to um, manage your testosterone and your um, blood sugar. <clears throat> like building muscle. All right. Good job. Thanks. How did you transition from the dog to the Mediterranean story? Pop minute. What? How did you intuitively pair I the- read a lot. Okay. I read a lot of news to try and get this information. Yeah, but how did you pick the dog story for, and then to follow it up by the Mediterranean? Like, did you know that the dog story had a blood sugar implication? I knew you'd get in there somehow. <laughs> Okay, so you're calling me predictable. That's right. Okay. Are we ready for... Let's hear it, Rochelle. Oh, no, I don't sing. Say it. Nope. Pop Minute! Anyone who knows me knows I love Batman. Yes. I've seen every movie, read a bunch of the comics and graphic novels, and I've seen every episode of the 1960s Batman TV show. So when I heard there was a Batgirl movie coming out with Michael Keaton playing Batman, who is my favorite Batman, by the way, I was intrigued to say the least. Filming started in late uh, 2021. I almost said 1921. 
It's, it's been a long time coming. In 2021, and production wrapped in spring of 2022. That being said, the movie was canned in uh, August. What does that mean, canned? Canceled. Okay. It's one of the most expensive productions to have ever been shelved with a a production. (laughs) (sighs) Of a budget of around, I was going to say production budget, budget. A budget of around $90 million. Holy shit. Yeah. The studio basically said they were taking the DC Comics property in another direction, and the film didn't line up with that vision. Other reports have stated the movie, and I'm paraphrasing, sucks. I'm not surprised because I learned it was the same directors of Bad Boys for Life, which was the third Bad Boys movie starring Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Batgirl was also supposed to star J.K. Simmons as Jim Gordon and Brendan Fraser as Firefly, a villain I've never heard of. But I'm a Batman fan and haven't really read the Batman, sorry, the Batgirl comics, so maybe he's a big deal in that universe. The titular character was to be played by Leslie Grace, who is apparently a singer-songwriter that I've never heard of. The film was slated for a 2022 or 2023 release, it will now be chalked up to a financial loss for the studio, which was allegedly more cost-effective than selling it or just releasing it on HBO Max. Someone lost their job over this one. I can't imagine they didn't. That's a lot of money to be thrown in the trash. It's just wasteful. Anything to say about that? $90 million. Yeah. Yeah, as we have high gas prices and high food prices and high health care prices, but... You know, heaven forbid our entertainment suffer. Ninety million for a movie that doesn't get released is a lot of money. That we are. That's prior- a couple decent movies. Like a couple pretty good movies could have been released. The for entire that world needs better health care, and we are spending ninety million on a movie that'll never get seen. I don't understand why we're spending ninety million on a movie that even does get seen. Like that is not. Come on. We are not. Hey, hey, we hey, are hey, not hey, valuing hey. curb. Curb your tongue. No, there's just, no, that's just stupid. That doesn't even there's make some any sense. Movies cost money. And you have to remember all the money that goes into all the jobs. There's a lot of I'm jobs. I'm sure, I know. There's a lot of jobs, that you're gonna, and I appreciate everyone and who spends years their job. Of, that's I understand years that. worth of, of I understand jobs that. Too. But I'm just saying, as a whole, considering. Don't call me an a hole. I don't like it when you do that. Oh my God. It's a joke, Rochelle. I, I always forget, Rochelle doesn't have a sense of humor. Continue. <laughs> you throw me off because I know I didn't call you that. And then I have to think about what did I just say. And then I'm like, what? I, oh, you're making Top a- Gun Maverick is now available to purchase on DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, Ultra HD, and digital. How much did it take to make that movie? As I said in episode 44, this is a great flick. I rewatched it this week so I could give a more in-depth review. And here it is. For Rochelle, who didn't watch the movie, even though I gave her plenty of opportunities to watch it. Top Gun Maverick finds Maverick as an aging captain with nowhere to go but down. As in the first film, he's a pilot, but has never reached the ranks of his contemporaries like Val Kilmer's Iceman, who is now Admiral Kazansky. After speeding his way to Mach 10 in an experimental aircraft, Maverick finds himself grounded, but is he? As it says in the trailer, his exploits are legendary. So Pete Mitchell, a.k.a. Maverick, is brought back to Top Gun to train a new class of pilots for an impossible mission. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. 
The film is very nostalgic. From the opening credit sequence with the music as well as some scenes that are very reminiscent of the first film. Topless men's beach football, anyone? The best part of the film is the craft of filmmaking itself. These actors are not on sound stages pretending to pull G's. These are actors who trained for six months and are going through actual aerobatics and real F-18 fighter jets. The visuals are incredible and it's just a fun ride all the way through. The film marks the first Tom Cruise outing to make it into the Billionaires Club. As of this writing, the film has grossed $1.4 billion worldwide, which also makes it the 12th highest grossing film of all time in worldwide dollars and 6th highest grossing film of all time in domestic dollars. The next highest grossing film in Tom Cruise's career is 2018's Mission Impossible Fallout, which grossed $791 million worldwide. Back to Top Gun. The film, which is still in theaters, by the way. So, check it out before it goes on digital. It has been in theater theaters for three months, which is a long time by today's standards. Most films have a four-week run, and then they're off to digital. Notable exceptions would be movies that are absolutely killing it at the box office, like Tom Holland's last outing as Spider-Man in Spider-Man No Way Home. If you go back, and I'm talking way back to the 90s. I remember when the movie Hook came mm-hmm. out. It changed my life. Not because I was involved in the film in any way, but a kid in my first grade class was a lost boy in the film. And I was like, wait, real people can be in the movies? So it inspired me to want to be a filmmaker and entertainer. But I digress. The film was released in 1991 in December and didn't come out on VHS until July of 1992 yeah you used to have to wait seven months for a movie to come out on home video now movies are sometimes released exclusively to digital there's no wait at all take a movie like titanic though it had a slow build it was released in december 1997 and didn't come out on vhs until you want to guess rochelle i have no idea september what of 1998 we used to have patience no we didn't They made money. Those movies, that's how they made money. The film industry has changed so much in that time. Movies had to grow an audience. Now, because digital is so prevalent, if they don't perform well in the box office, they quickly get pushed to digital, and some great movies are missed. But not Top Gun Maverick. Check it out, and let me know what you think in the Facebook group. I'm a cinephile, and I'll talk your ears off about movies. And I think I just did. (laughs) That's all I have for Pop Minute this week. Okay. That's it. Sounds good. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, that's all I got. I'm Blake. I'm Rochelle. I got to go watch a movie. That's right. Go watch that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm Blake. I'm Rochelle. What do I normally say after that? Cue the music. No. We'll be back. Cue the music. Cue the music.